Alright, hello everybody. Welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA Podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and I am your host per usual. Um, Alright. If tonight's show... Man, I picked a real bad week to uh, have some health issues. Um, you guys don't care about the minutiae. Long story short, dealing with some back pain that I don't think is actually anything in my back. Um, there's a lot of muscles that connect to, especially your lower back. And if you monkey with them, the pain manifests there. So I'm hoping that's all it is because I really don't want my back to actually be screwed up. If it's, you know, adjacent stuff that's just unhappy, then so be it. Um, but that's been screwing with my sleep all week and... Suffice to say, here I sit, um, having a better day than yesterday. Yesterday sucked. But on very little sleep, and uh, yeah, still in a bit of pain. So, unfortunately for me, this happened to come up during a week where we've got stuff to talk about. Um, Monday. <laughs> Last Monday, well, yeah, Monday, um, the UFC announced a bunch of fights after I'd... Um, done some speculating so we'll talk a little bit about those that got announced um, we have fights and um, in some cases some um, uh, dates and venues for the next few UFC events 297 298 and 299 so we'll uh, be talking about some of the announced fights some of those cards are more complete than others which is understandable given how far out we are so we'll talk that Last night, of course, UFC 295. Um, not the shortest amount of in-cage time for, in UFC history. There's some Dark Ages stuff that's really fast. But I think our main card clocked in at like, what, 13 minutes and change? For <laughs> You paid 80 bucks for 13 minutes. I mean, that's somewhat unfair, because uh, some of it, we'll get to it. Some of it was quite good. We have a preview, of course, as well. UFC on ESPN plus 90, and then I already mentioned some of the news, but that's kind of what we're looking at here. So, um, yeah, like, comment, subscribe, star rating, written review, any and all that good stuff to feed the unknown eldritch abomination that is the various social media algorithms. That all helps. Um, sharing around as well, might have already mentioned that, but you know, letting people know about the show if you think they'd enjoy it, point them in our direction, let us try to entertain. Um, yeah, I think that's all for the intro. So let's jump in, shall we? So last night, UFC, I, look, UFC 295, um, mentioned like 13 minutes or so of... Uh, actual fight time for the main card. Let's see, somebody else wants to do the math. There was... Oh, no, wait, it's longer than that. Sorry, 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 sorry. A couple of those went into the second round. So... be nine, seven... Right, so that would be... So, 20-something? Yeah, so that would be 18... Call it 18 and a half, or sorry, um, 17 and a half. 
19. Thirty, yeah, less than less than twenty-five. I mean, I wanted to actually do all the math on that, but I don't. So, at least take my word for it. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was, but there was some there was some quality stuff and some stuff worth discussing. So, um, main event for the vacant light heavyweight title. Boy, that division is a mess, is it not? Ever since John Jones left, that division has been wonky. So let's just very briefly rehash how we got here. So John Jones wins a unanimous decision over Dominic Reyes. Closely contested. Slightly controversial. Um, scoring it live, I scored it for Jones. Having watched it again, I'm I tend to lean maybe a little bit more towards Reyes. Um... But it's one of those things where I think that's the, I said this before, I think that's the first time I came away from a fight, even though I scored it for John live, that I thought he kind of lost that one. First time ever. I'd I'd never had that problem with him before. I shouldn't say that's a problem, but never done that with him before. But he vacates that belt. And then Reyes who everyone, a lot of people thought beat John, fights Jan Blahovich. Blahovich stops him. Blahovich gets one title defense when he stops Israel Adesanya from becoming a simultaneous two-weight world champion. Then Blahovich gets stalled out in first gear when he fights Glover Teixeira. Teixeira can't defend it at all because he runs into Yuri Prohachka. Prohachka then injures his shoulder and has to vacate. Our fight for the vacant belt is Blahovich and Ankolaev. That ends in a draw. So then we get Teixeira again and Jamal Hill. And <laughs> Teixeira nearly wins that in the fifth round. Would have been hilarious. But Hill wins, then injures himself. He ruptures Achilles tendon. Vacating. Leading to this fight. The more hilarious side of things actually is... You know, like two weeks ago, we had our presumptive, I would say the presumptive number one contender fight between uh, Magomed Ankalaev and Johnny Walker, and that ends in a no contest. Because while Ankalaev has a tremendous amount of skill, and boy does he, that man just can't seem to make consistently good decisions when it really matters, and that's costing him. And now, again, we this leads us inevitably sort of to Alex Pereira, who has one win in this division when he got a split decision over Jan Blahovich, taking on former champion Yuri Prohachka. And for as long as this fight lasted, I actually think it was pretty good. Um, Pereira comes out, and he's not jabbing a whole lot. He is landing his calf kicks, though, and... Mm, I don't know what he figured out about himself, about his physiology, but if you look at how he throws those calf kicks, um, he other people have talked about this. I'm going to talk about it briefly. He doesn't turn his hip over. 
Now, he's not straight up just slapping you with the inside of his leg. There is, again, there's some motion there, but ideally when you kick really hard, there's biomechanics involved, you turn your hips, it generates more power. This guy's out here crippling people with less than perfect technique. Now, there might be something with his hips and with his body that this actually works better for him. Some people are weird like that. But some of what he does, man, is just so brutal, especially for MMA. He messed up Israel Adesanya's leg both times they fought. Man, he hurt Jan Blahovich with calf kicks. And Blahovich is made out of metal. I mean, watch some of his stuff, like, when he's fight, I think it was when he fought on Goliath. Um, he's, was it on Goliath or is there another one? Ah, I can't remember. Hang on, now I gotta look this up. Um, because there was one of those fights with him. Mr. Blahovich. Um, yeah, I think it was the Ankalaev one. He's landing pretty good calf... This is uh, Blahovich. He's landing pretty good kicks, but they're opposite stances. And that makes kicking to the calf very difficult, depending on foot position of the lead leg. If you point the foot straight ahead, it makes it a little easier. If you cock it at an angle, it defends the front as so the inside but at least the outside a little more vulnerable it's just kind of picking and choosing how you want to do that and uh he just decided okay i'm gonna kick you in the shin like not even landing on the calf in the muscled part just that guy just went bone on bone basically and said i i think it's gonna hurt you before it hurts me and Pereira gave him problems in just a couple of calf kicks when they fought. So that's... Yeah. He did that to... Um, yeah, it, it, that really messed up Blahovich when he fought Pereira because... I don't know, man. Pereira just kicked better. Um... And it just it just messed with him. Here it it bothered Prochka. Now Prochka did a slightly better job of I think handling that than other people, but it started to mess with his left leg. Few things on Prochka that I think need uh, some. So I didn't give you the result. The end result is um, Alex Pereira wins via it's uh, TKO. He Landed that left hook, man. Dropped Prochka in the second. Got on top. Landed enough elbows, especially on the way down, to kind of prompt the stoppage. Uh, forward weight of the second. Uh, I didn't love the stoppage, personally. Now, I'm not going to get on my high horse here. Other people had more visceral reactions to this than I did. Um, Marab was out there making noise. Uh, Dominic Cruz was not happy with the stoppage. He wasn't on commentary, but... Cruz is a little bit 
I like Dominic Cruz. I have a great deal of respect for his uh, career. I like his commentary. He His line on what's a good stoppage and what isn't isn't terribly well defined, but it, as a general rule, I think it errs a little bit far on the if they die, they die side of things. <laughs> Just for my taste. Um, not my favorite stoppage in the world personally. However, I can understand why the referee did it. And to the credit of Yuri Prohachka, he was asked about this. He said, yeah, I was out for a second there. My body kept going and because that's what I trained it to do. But yeah, I, I was out for a second and the referee made his call and I don't think it was wrong. So, you know what? My hat's off to that guy. A lot of people would have been very bitter about the way this happened, or you get whiny about it. Or even even if they knew they were out, they might lie about it. Um, not him. He said, yep, I got flashed, and the referee did what the referee's supposed to do. Fair play. Um, my hat's off, again, my hat's off to that guy. Um, that's a level of integrity, I think it may be the appropriate word, that is a little bit, a little bit rare, a little bit rare in the space. Um, man, what do you want to say about Alex Pereira? This man is, he's accomplished something pretty incredible in the combat sports space. Two-weight world champion in glory. Now a two-weight world champion in MMA in the space of, like, what, three or four years? He went from being the dual champion in glory to now being a... He's not a simultaneous champion. I think in glory he was. I think he had both of them at the same time in glory. Don't quote me on that. I'm not up to speed. To now having won his second title in a second weight class in a second sport. In the space of, in like, three years. Now, there's some stuff that worked in his favor, and that needs to be acknowledged. So let me acknowledge that here publicly. One, he got preferential consideration at middleweight because of his history with Adesanya. Now, he still had to go out there and win fights, and that's not always easy, but his path to the title was shortened, especially relative to some other guys who uh, have had to take more circuitous routes. He he got some preferential consideration there. That's true. He still had to win, and even with preferential consideration in terms of are you on the fast track or the long track... Dude still had to fight Israel Adesanya and beat him. That ain't easy. And so there was that. Then there's the fact that light heavyweight is kind of a dumpster fire. <laughs> I went over how we got here. We don't even have a real number one contender. Um, Jamal Hill says he's going to get a title shot when he comes back. I don't think that's entirely unwarranted. I don't... How do I feel about... I don't like his chances against Pereira. Um, I'm not saying Jamal Hill is a chump. He's not. 
that's a bad stylistic matchup for him, though. Because um, he likes to strike. He's kind of a longer guy, but he's got some he has some smooth hands. But I don't think that striking, especially at light heavyweight, with Pereira for prolonged periods of time is really how you want to go about that. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't I th- I don't think that's a recipe for success. But we don't know Hill's timetable for his return. Achilles injuries can mess you up. So, you know, I But after that, let's just posit a world in which that's the next fight. Like who's after that? We had a fight get made. Um, I think they announced they're doing a rematch between Blahovich and Alexander Rakich. Uh, Rakich was out for a while after because he had um, he and Tom Aspinall. There was somebody else too. Like there were three guys in this very short period of time who had those same kind of knee injuries out in space, uh, moving around. And we'll get to Aspinall in a second when we talk about the co-main event. But it's taken Rakich a bit to get back here. I don't. I rather enjoyed what we saw of the first fight between Rakic and Blahovic. I had it one apiece going into the third when the injury happened. I like a lot of what Rakic brings to the table, but time off and knee injuries are nothing to play around with. And <laughs> that's what he's coming back from. So, uh. Have to wait and see. He's got tool... Uh, my friend Pat, who, if you're a long-time listener to this show, Pat has this weird ability to accurately predict talent when he sees it. Um, you know, a few years ago, he saw one of Rakic's earlier fights in the UFC and went, you know, at light heavyweight, that guy... that guy's got a shot. Um, that guy has a lot of the stuff necessary to become champion. And, you know, look, Pat accurately predicted Khabib uh, before a lot of people did. He said, that guy, future champion. Um, who's the other one he nailed? I'll, I'd just like to give him credit for some of the stuff. I think he and I were both on the uh, Max when Max fought Aldo. Either we were opposite, because I picked Max to beat Aldo that first time, which was a leap for me. Might have been Volk. I think I might have been on the Volk train before Pat was. Um. Yeah, anyway. Sorry. So, we got to see how Rakich looks when he comes back. Hill's floating out there, but, dude, for, for a long time, man, a lot of us were looking at Magomed on Goliath like, okay... You, had, you lost your UFC debut via weirdness at the last second. Legitimate loss, but he was beating the crap out of Paul Craig before that. Then he just never... Then he went on... The hype around him never grew back. Even though he went on this long winning streak. Um, he just never kind of regained... Recaptured the imagination of the people. And then he gets a couple of these shots and you're like... Look, I'm not saying beating Jan Blahovich is easy, but there were some questionable decisions being made there. And then I think unequivocally just questionable decisions 
cost him, had that Johnny Walker fight go the way it did. So who knows what's up with that? Um, that division is still kind of a mess. It, it just is. Um, wish I had a better explanation for you, but I don't. And... But, uh, so, I don't know exactly what's next for Pereira. If Hill's able to... Dude, Pereira, after the fight, was like, Hey, Adesanya, come back up here and, uh, let's fight again. Adesanya doesn't seem interested at the moment. Um. I, look, man, I'm not interested in another fight. Am I not interested? There are things about another fight between those two that I would very much be interested in. On the other hand, I'm just, I don't know. I'm just not. That doesn't really get my blood rate, get my heart rate up, you know? It would be good, and there's stuff about it that I would be interested in and excited for. But, like, do I, you know, I'm not sitting here going, hook that third fight between them and MMA just straight into my veins. I'm, I'm not. So, again, you've got Jamal Hill, and nobody cares about Jamal Hill, <laughs> which is not fair to him, but it's kind of the truth. And, and what even are the rankings for this A bombed-out weight class? I, I genuinely don't know. Okay. So, yeah, Nikita Krylov sitting at six. You get Anthony Smith still in the top ten. Yeah, this, this is, let me just read this off. I'm going to make a couple of assumptions here based because the uh, rankings haven't been updated after the results from last night, obviously. But your champion's Pereira. I assume Hill's going to go going to drop to number one. Prohachka will drop to two. Ankalaev will then be three. Um, Blahovich. Currently four, Rakich five, Krylov six, Walker seven, Anthony Smith eight, Volkanus Demir nine, Ryan Span ten, Khalil Roundtree eleven, Azmat Mirzakhanov twelve. There's actually that's actually a guy we might need to one of the few sort of up and coming guys worth maybe paying attention to. Dominic Reyes at thirteen, who hasn't won a fight since before he fought for the belt. When was hang on, that that's ridiculous. I I call BS on this. Okay. You're f- still in the top 15. A man who has not had a fight in over a year. He did have one scheduled recently. Talk about that in a minute when we get to some other fights that have been made lately. He's on a four-fight losing streak. The last three of them have been br- pretty brutal knockouts. His last win was in 2019 over Chris Weidman. Before that, he got a slightly dubious split decision win over Uzdemir. You could have scored that for the Uzman. I don't remember how I scored it, but that could have gone to Uzdemir. This is this, the absolute state of this division is this guy who hasn't beaten a legitimate light heavyweight since 
when was that specifically? March of 19? So, what, four and a half years? Since he has a, a win over a legitimate light heavyweight? And spare me the John Jones stuff. Like, yeah, he lost, he, you can argue he won the fight. He didn't. He, there is not even anything close to an argument for the next three after that. Blahovich stopped him, Prochka stopped him, and Ryan Spann stopped him. But this guy is still ranked, apparently. Uh, then Alonzo Manafield, 14, and uh, Dustin Jacoby, 15. This division sucks. Just look at that. Just. Man, between Anthony Smith, Volkan Demir. I'm not saying those are bad fighters. But Smith has, like, more miles on him than my car. My car is closing in on 300,000 miles. That dude is just... And credit to him, man. He's been in the trenches, and I have not, I'm not saying anything bad about him in that respect. But... This division has been in... Has been in dire need of an injection of talent for a long time, and it just hasn't gotten it. <sighs> so, your new champion, Alex Pereira. You know what? Bless him. There are. I ran through a little bit of some of the stuff that aligned in his favor, in terms of, like the stars aligning in his favor. You've still got to go out there and perform. And, dude, beating Yuri Prochka is hard. Prochka hadn't lost in, like, his last loss was what? That weird one to, to Muhammad Lawal? Back in, like, 15 or something? Yeah, December of 15. He avenges that loss a little bit later, but... He had like a 13-fight winning streak or something. Hang on. 2, 3, 4, 6, 7, 8, 10, 11, 12. Yeah, 13. And one or two of those you, you kind of raise your eyes at. Um, but, man, he beat Vadim Nemkov. Like, he made Nemkov quit. After the first round when they fought. Uh, he eventually he beat Lawal when they rematched. He stopped Fabio Maldonado very quickly. You know, beating this guy is no easy task. And Pereira went out there and did it. So... You can get preferential treatment and have... And the UFC can have your back... But if you can't go out there and perform, it doesn't really amount to anything. More on that general narrative in a couple of fights, because, well, Mackenzie Dern. So, more on that later. Um, I don't know exactly. I am at, There's a decent chance we get a rematch between these two. Not immediately. I don't think that's warranted. But it's entirely possible that Prochka goes out there and wrecks somebody. Pereira beats, hypothetically, Jamal Hill. Like, and they meet up again. Like, that's very, very possible. And I wouldn't hate it. 
I would not hate it. Um, on the Prochka side of things, he smoothed out some of his rough edges. He did look a little rusty, um, which is to be understood. It's understandable. He was out for a while, and shoulder injuries will mess with you. But he wasn't quite the wide-open, wild man he was in a few of his previous fights, especially in the UFC. Bit more measured. Found some success. Uh, this is not. There's an argument to be made about who won the first round. You could have given it to Pereira for his leg kicks. I lean towards Perhachka. The leg kicks were good, and they were very important. Like he didn't like those. He landed a couple of good punches though. Did um, Perhachka? Uh, had a nice right uppercut going for, at different periods of time. Uh, got a takedown. Lin, uh, it took him a bit to find offense when he was on top because Pereira's defense from down there was pretty good. He was good about trying to tie up arms and disrupt punching lanes. But before Pereira was able to get up, he did eat some, uh, I thought, some pretty relevant elbows. It was enough for me to lean towards Prochka, but giving that to Pereira, I think, is perfectly fine. You could argue a 10-10 in that round, I think. Um, and give all three judges, I think, gave that one to Prochka, which a little... Dude, there was one judge in particular last night. Um, I'll yell at him later when I get to it. But, oof. There was some weird judging. Just put it that way. There were some bad scorecards turned in. In this one. Uh, along this night. Um, but I don't know who Prochka fights next. Maybe Anthony Smith. Um, I don't know who Smith is fighting next. But he, I mean, he's going to fight someone else ranked. Krylov? He might get stuck fighting the winner of Rakic and Blahovic. Um, I don't know what they're doing with Ankalaev. He might do Prochka and Ankalaev. That's a thought. I mean, do they try? Do they just remake? Do they remake Ankalaev and Walker? If they do, he can fight. He might fight the winner of that. Um, there's a lot of moving parts here, which is weird considering how I just mentioned how trashy that division is. But there are still timing considerations and you know, the general UFC machinery to be aware of. So. I don't know. Uh, I wouldn't want to be the next guy to fight him. I will put it like that. This did not... Not only does Prochka not strike me as the kind of guy who crumbles after a loss. He's lost before. This didn't strike me as the kind of performance... As the kind of loss that would um, change you. It's never good to get knocked out. But this was not a prolonged beating. This was not a I have altered the course of your career kind of loss. It didn't look like it to me. Next dude that stares across from that madman, um, that's probably going to go real bad. <laughs> real bad for him. But that was your main event. Great intensity between these two. Oh, the stare down they had was mm, freaking amazing. Um, loved that. Yuri's walkout music, by the way, also top notch. Um, Neither of these two seemed to... There was no animosity 
Like, there was competitive fire, but there was no bad blood. Um, wouldn't mind, again, wouldn't mind a rematch at some point. Not right away, but I there's a good chance these two square up again, and that'll be something. So that's the state of light heavyweight. Let's move on to heavyweight, shall we? Co-main event. Um, you know, I didn't have the best night picking, especially like the top three fights. Underdogs had a bad night all night. Um, I think there were, only, there were thir what, 13 fights? Yeah, 13 fights. There was one draw on the prelims. Um, prelims. Yeah, I think only four underdogs won all night. And in my defense, I did pick at least one of those guys correct, one of those correctly. Because um, I, I picked Diego Lopez, and uh, I feel okay about that. <laughs> um, I got, but I got the top three wrong. I can explain. Look, getting Prochka and Pereira wrong. I don't feel bad about that. It was a competitive fight for as long as it lasted. Um, and I, I can see why I got it wrong. Getting the co-main event wrong, because in little over a minute, was it 109? You know, in 69 seconds, I know what you just said after I said that, by the way, uh, Tom Aspinall stopped Sergei Pavlovich with punches. I said that on a full camp, I would have picked Aspinall, um, without a whole lot of reservation. I thought the short notice would be a bigger factor. And it did play a bit of a role, I think. Um, especially Aspinall after the fact, mentioning that he injured his back. And again, you have my sympathies on that, sir. And the last, like, week, and it really affected him. He came in heavier than he'd ever been. Um, he was 261, I think, for this. And normally he's, like... High 240s, low 250s. He might be mid 50s, like low to mid 50s. Um, and he came in heavier than that. So I, I thought that would play a role. I, my my hunch was that like Pavlovich would find a way to get the win here, and then you know Asmel would win another fight, get a rematch, and win it. Then that was, was kind of how I thought that would go. Nope. Um. Man, what do you say about Tom Aspinall at this point? Um, I've I've mentioned this before when talking about Aspinall, but I need to. I'm gonna go into a little bit more detail here. He moves so well. Watch the. I don't even mean like footwork patterns. Like just watch how he moves. He moves like a guy 40 pounds lighter than him. And I don't mean that he moves like, you know, a, a light heavyweight or a middleweight. There's some there's some flat middleweights out there. I mean, he looks like he just kind of glides. And even as a even if you were to put up a heavyweight. Um, let me give you an example. I'm not comparing their skills but watch how Muhammad Ali would move around a boxing ring, right? 
Ali was 220 and change for the majority of his, especially I think especially his prime. Like, well, you can kind of identify some of the best of Ali, 220s. And thereabouts. He might have been 230 at one point, but not a huge guy, not a huge weight at heavyweight. Um, but for heavyweight at the time, he was actually quite tall. In fact, it was um, one of the things that one of the things that helped him beat Sonny Liston. Uh, believe it or not, because Liston had that stupid dude. Sonny Liston had like 80, was he 84 or 86 inches of reach? I think it was 84, but the thing is, he's like, Sonny Liston had like 84 inches of reach, which is John Jones or Sergey Pavlovich, but he was only six feet tall. Crazy, crazy hip index. Um, but watch Ali move around the ring. And he kind of just, you know, glides. Aspinall, different footwork, different sport. But guy who here, 260 moving like a guy who is 30 pounds lighter just dancing out there his feet are so fast and it can take some work to weaponize quick feet but if you know what you're doing with it it is devastating if you've never even sparred someone who's just light on their feet like that it is the most frustrating thing in the world you're constantly having to reposition and Pavlovich was here. They're constantly pulling you where they want you to go. Even if you have good, like, cage craft or ring craft. If you're like, okay, I know the angles. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. If they're faster on their feet in addition to being, like, light on them, you feel like you're in cement. You feel like they're, you're wading through mud. It's terrible. And <laughs> Aspinall out here just gliding around like he's on ice skates or something. It is it is nutty. It is just nutty. And moves you, makes you go where you where he wants you to go, and then pop. Tom Aspinall has never he's been into the second round, what, twice in his career? Like he's fought good guys in the UFC and I think only Arlovsky got to the second round with him. Dude, he fought Alexander Volkov, who is no joke. Just took him down, got side control, and hit a straight armbar. Just casual straight armbar on frickin' Volkov. Moving well, fast feet, fast hands, good power. Good combination punching. Like, the... Maybe the closest analog you could find in MMA to him, in some respects, is Kane. And he's lighter on his feet than Kane Velasquez. Kane's hands might have been just a hair faster. Because um, if you ever, if you ever watch, if you didn't watch Kane in his prime, throw them hands. Um, it was crazy. But. I think Aspinall's, again, lighter on his feet even than Kane. Moves, just, again, just out there like it's nothing. Just sliding around. Always in position. Always able to counter you. Now, that doesn't mean Pavlovich had no success here. I mentioned it already. Pavlovich has 84 inches of reach. Which is kind of crazy. And that distance bothered Aspinall for a little bit. I mean, the fight lasted a minute and nine seconds. 
when I say it bothered him a little bit, that's kind of what I mean. It was a little bit. But Pavlovich hit him. Officially, he's only credited with one landed shot. I actually get, personally, I give him credit for a little more. I think I gave him three. Um, but there was a there was a left hook that he landed that Aspinall wasn't didn't quite have the dis have the range measured properly, got buzzed, and Aspinall immediately like okay this is the this is the this is the benefit of good footwork and good again just having good legs. You get buzzed, circle. Circle and move. Take a second, reset. And he did. And obviously stopped him not too long afterwards, but there was a moment there. Um. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen at heavyweight. Now, in the wake of this, somewhat naturally, bunch of the internet kind of went, so why do we want to watch Jones and Stipe again? We want Jones and Aspinall, and I'm not saying I don't understand that. I'm not saying that's not a better fight. It, I think it is. I'm saying we're not getting it. Both Jones and Stipe are looking for the door, which I don't blame either of them for. Stipe's 40-something been doing this for a while, has had his brain rattled more than once, and is the most successful UFC heavyweight champion ever. If Stipe's ready to basically hang him up and wants one last fight, but it's got to be the right fight, I don't blame him. I don't blame John. Like, John's been doing this for a while. I've covered his entire UFC career. And, man, John's fought... Look, I, I, you joke about light heavyweight at times, or certainly now. John didn't duck anybody coming up. He beat like three generations of light heavyweights. Because on his way to the belt, he ran over a lot of the previous guys. Certainly a few of them. On his way to the belt, not really, a little bit. Then he beat Shogun, made him tap to strikes. Beat the previous generation, because he beat um, Rashad and Rampage. Like, those guys were in there. Beat his contemporaries in, like, Daniel Cormier, Alexander Gustafson. Um, that level. And then beat Tiago Santos and Dominic Reyes. And there's one other one that I like. I, I think I count in that same vein. I count OSP in that same vein. I mean, beating Cormier twice, I think, and stopping him with a head kick was <laughs> kind of nice. Dude, the, you can count on one hand the number of UFC champions who have done that, done the three-generation of fighters thing. It's like him, it's like John, George, and Anderson. That's kind of it. Just in the UFC. Would I change that if I talk? You might could throw Fedor in there. I have to go back. There's part of his resume. I'd have to go back through with a slightly more fine-toothed comb, but you could maybe throw Fedor in there. That's a real hard thing to do. If John is like, all right, I want one more, and 
I want it to be against this guy because this guy matters for legacy, and I don't. I don't blame John. Like it's in this weird situation where I understand it sucks in some respects, but I don't blame anybody. And if you're the UFC, Jones and Miocic is still a marquee attraction, more so than Jones and Aspinall. Not as much that difference, not as much as it used to be, by the way. This performance from Aspinall did a lot to close that gap. Um, but I think both John and Stipe are just kind of set on, you know what, it's our, it's going to be my last fight. This fight makes sense, that's what we're doing. And you can like that or you can not like that. I'm not telling you how you have to feel about it, I'm telling you I think that's kind of where we are. Um, but if we kind of remove Jones and Stipe from the equation, because I think they're both going to retire... Aspinall might be the guy to run heavyweight for a bit. We'll probably get a rematch with him and Pavlovich. And I'd like to see that when both guys had actually prepared for each other. Uh, I'd still favor Aspinall, because that would fit under my other criteria of, like, full camp. Going to favor Aspinall. But we might get a rematch between those two. I think the only... The only guy I might favor to beat Aspinall at this point is Gone, and I'm not sold that I would... I don't know that I'd pick Gone. Um, he's got some wrestling issues that Aspinall can exploit. So... <laughs> Aspinall might be the guy. There's still some defensive issues with Aspinall. Um, he's a little vulnerable to leg kicks. He spends a bit too much time with his chin up in the air, and he leans a little bit. Um, against a certain level of opposition, or against guys with a certain body type, that's not going to be... Um, that's not going to end anything. Like that's, that's, not a, that's not always the worst thing, but that's kind of what got Pavlovich's fist home and kind of buzzed him. So something to work on there a little bit. But he might be the guy. Uh, at this point, I I don't I don't know who I would reliably pick to beat him. Gone beating him wouldn't surprise me because Gone's pretty good. Wouldn't surprise me, but I think I'd favor Aspinall. Um, yeah, that that dude. You know, Josh Barnett said something. Uh, on Twitter that uh, I think is probably true. Um, because Pavlovich, he's got a lot of power. And he, again, he buzzed Aspinall here. He doesn't quite have the same destructive power that Francis Ngannou does. I mean, Ngannou... Poof, just could knock out a bull just right between the eyes um, but the thing Josh Barnett mentioned that might be more as much as Nganu's power is a giant determinant factor and contributor to his success maybe more so especially at heavyweight is Nganu's chin think back on this for just a second everybody 
When was the last time you saw Francis Ngannou hurt in a fight? Look at all the punches. If you want an example of this, go rewatch his first fight with Stipe. Look at all the stuff Stipe lands on him, and Ngannou is never rocked or wobbled. Never. Um, dude, he got elbowed by Tyson Fury when they fought. Full-on elbow, man, just in the head. Didn't cut him. But the kind of shot that Tyson Fury, he doesn't have the biggest punching power, but he's a big dude, and big dude able to leverage his weight like that, will that'll hurt you. He got elbowed by Tyson Fury and barely broke stride. An enormous component of Francis Ngannou's success is that I don't know what you would have to do to hurt him. I mean, he got hit. Dude, Cyril Gaon hit him a lot. First couple of rounds of their fight. Never, never seemed to wobble him. Cyril Gaon has some power. Stipe. Stipe can thump. Couldn't, as many times as he hit Francis, he couldn't hurt him. Much less stop him. Ugh. So, and Pavlovich, you know, to his credit, Pavlovich might be, again, he's not, he's not quite in Ganu level of I touch you and you die power, but Pavlovich has serious power. And, but he's, uh, Aspinall just hit him right. And that, that changes everything. So, Uh, yeah, Aspinall, man, might be the guy, might be the guy at heavyweight. Um, he is, what was the thing? So he is the first, um, he's not just the, he's the first British born UFC heavyweight champion. And I know you might just immediately go, wait a minute, what about Bisbing? What about Leon Edwards? They're both, um, British citizens. Um, Bisbing, I'm talking purely geography with this, by the way. Because Michael Bisbing was born on a military base in Cyprus. Um, which is, military bases and embassies count as, uh, this, they, they count them as like foreign soil. So whatever country that is the base that, or the embassy that is technically their land. So, he is a British citizen. He was just not born on like the island of uh on the relevant island on the, the island of great britain what do they call that island because ireland is is its own island they call it like the british isles but that's because it encompasses a few other things i don't know if that island that is like it's technically england wales scotland it's england wales and scotland because north ireland yeah England, Wales, and England, Wales, and Scotland. I don't know what that big island is called. Oh, might just be Britain. 
either way. Um, so he wasn't born there, and he was not born on the British Isle. And then Edward was born in... Is he born in Jamaica? Because he, he tends to come out with the Jamaican flag. I know he was raised in... Uh, I know he was raised in um, Birmingham, but... Yeah, he was born in... Yeah, Leon Edwards was born in Kingston. So, Aspinall, first guy born on the... Born in the British Isles. Specific... In the British... No, because... Ireland? How do you count that? It's McGregor... I don't know. It's way too pedantic a distinction to actually matter. You know what? Let's just... How about we go with that? <laughs> too pedantic. Um... So he got that. This is the first time... I'm 99% sure this is the first time that the UK has had two UFC champions at the same time. Because right now you got Edwards at welterweight, and now Aspinall is the interim champion at heavyweight. I don't think there's been another time. Because Bisming didn't overlap with anyone... And he's the only other one. So you know what? Yeah, so yeah, you had a few bits of uh, trivia for those of you that care about that sort of thing. I don't know who's next for Aspinall. We don't know. We have to wait and see what's up with John and Stipe. Um, my hunch is they're both kind of going to be done after that. So you would need somebody else. Again, I, I don't know. But I like his chances to hold that belt. Put it like that. I like his chances to hold that belt a lot. He is very good. All right. Uh, took a bit of time talking about those two, so hopefully we can speed through some of the rest of this here. Next up, uh, Jessica Andrade defeated Mackenzie Dern via TKO punches, 315 of the second. Um, early on, Dern looked okay. Her jab was kind of working. Uh, she hit a nice headlock throw, and I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna kill her for that one. Um, it was actually a nice one. That that's a technique that gets that gets kind of memed on on occasion, and not even for a bad reason. But it's a it's because it gets memed on. It we tend to ignore that it's a legitimate technique, and that it has its place and this and it absolutely does and this was she used it at an appropriate time um but couldn't control top position not fully and once some of the exchanges started going longer Andrage kept landing and Dern kind of fell apart. She got dropped in the first at the end of the round. Then she got dropped three times in the second before the ref finally jumped in and uh, stopped this one. Um, I don't really know what to... Uh, I'm going to try to phrase this in a way that's not mean-spirited. Mackenzie Dern looked like someone in this fight who had not really sparred. 
she had a couple of combinations that she wanted to do. She would step in, throw a couple of punches, step out. It looked like pad work. The problem is, it looked like less than good pad work because even when you're working pads, the guy holding them for you should be checking your guard position, making you roll under, making you move. She landed a couple of good punches on Andrade. But then she just kind of like, oh, I landed. Now what? And froze up. And Andrade's like, I know what I'm doing. And just bombed on her. Um, Dern looked pretty good in a lot of respects when she beat Angela Hill the last time. She looked worse here. And it... I don't know who is guiding Mackenzie Dern. Um, but whoever it is, man, you have screwed up along the way over the years. And it's very obvious. Um, let me give Dern a couple of pieces of credit. More in the service of talking about, like, how did we get here? She clearly has competitive drive. She, you know, one of the big things about a lot of guys who come to MMA from jiu-jitsu, they are not composed under fire. This is when we talk about guys who don't like getting hit. Nobody likes getting hit. But how you, when we say so-and-so doesn't like to get hit, it's not oh, this is a good time, it's, oh, what do I do? How do I react to this? You know, that was one of the big failings of Brock Lesnar. I mean, I couldn't, let me just go with him because he's a very obvious example. He just didn't really know how to respond when punches started coming back at him. He had a pretty good chin, but the first seconds or so after he got hit... He just reacted very, very poorly. Happened when he fought Carwin. Happened when he fought Kane. Happened when he fought over him. Even happened when he fought Mark Hunt. It was just a problem. That takes time to develop. And he didn't for any number of reasons. Just wasn't comfortable with it. A lot of jiu-jitsu guys, man, they fold. When they come to MMA and suddenly, first couple of times they get hit. Like, oh, I mean, I don't even, it's a bit more obvious and I hate to say unique, but it's very apparent with a lot of jujitsu guys. Um, But there's even some people, man, usually you get this if you're watching someone's like first couple of professional fights, they will, because it's different. It's different when it's for real, even different from hard sparring. There's people who can do hard sparring who when suddenly it's for real, there's just something different about it and they, yeah. Stuff short circuits a little bit. Um, Dern doesn't have the problem that a lot of jujitsu guys have of what do I do? She seemed to get lost not because she was panicking, but because training was letting her down. Watch some of her other fights, man. She is not afraid of contact. She's not afraid of the violence in that respect. 
but she has not been able to weaponize that. Her takedown, like her wrestling game or takedown game is frankly pathetic. She averages less than one takedown per 15 minutes. Let that sink in for just a second. She's one of the most decorated female jiu-jitsu athletes ever. Certainly the most decorated one to transition to MMA. And this woman has not been able to consistently get one takedown every 15 minutes. I... There's so much wrong about that. How have we not addressed this? Um, whatever work she, because she was with um the, let's say Ruka, RVCA, whatever. She was with that gym for her last fight, which is um for her last couple I think, because uh, Jason Perello operated out of there. And Perello's a good coach. He seemed to be kind of working on her hands a little bit. I don't know who she's with now, but they did her a giant disservice because she didn't look as good as she did in her last fight. And that's that's not wholly on I'm fighting someone who hits really hard. I'm not saying fighting someone who hits as hard as Jessica Andrade is easy. It's most certainly not. What I am saying is the problem she's having, if she'd fought like this when she fought Angela Hill, she would have lost. Like None of what, almost none of what she was doing in that fight that worked consistently was even present here. I don't know what we're doing with her. Look, the UFC's kind of been waiting for her to really break through. They like her. But if you can't go out there and win consistently... We're, there's no point to having the promotion like you. It just doesn't matter. Andrade broke a pretty serious losing streak. She'd lost, what, four in a row, I think? Um, so she got a win that she needed. I don't know what... I can't, I can't predict the future for any of these people. Um... I still have questions about Andrade. I still think she might be on the wrong side of Washed. But whatever she was still able to muster here was enough to get the win. And hey, God bless, man. I don't see her getting back to the title, though. Uh, put it that way. And at this point, I don't know that Dern will ever get there. Uh, moving on to Lightweight. Um... 90 seconds of fury here, baby. Uh, Benoit Saint-Denis defeats Matt Frivola. Head kick, 131 of the first. Mm. Uh, this was this was a great fight for as long as it lasted. Um, both guys came out and got after it. Benoit Saint-Denis um, got the better of the stuff on the feet. Nice takedown from Frivola. Pretty good sweep from uh, BSD right away up into a clinch. When they're breaking the clinch, he throws the head kick. Favola's hands are down. Pretty much all she wrote. Um, 
there was some nice stuff between these two, even like the buildup in the immediate aftermath. Both uh, both gentlemen are veterans of the armed forces. Um, Frivola was, I think he was in the Air Force. And mi if you have military history, um, feel free to insert your jokes about the Air Force if you feel so inclined. Uh, Saint-Denis was, wasn't he a paratrooper? Or something for the for the military. Yeah, yeah, he was um, uh, part of the First Marine Infantry Paratrooper Regiment, and he's seen some stuff. <laughs> if you look at some of his look at some of his deployments, uh, he's seen he's probably seen some stuff. Um. Sorry, Frivola was not an Air Force guy. He was just Army Reserve, which is actually what my dad did. Um, so that actually means I could have made fun of the Air Force. And it would have been okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but there was a lot of, like, both gentlemen acknowledged each other's military service. There was a moment after it was done where they saluted each other in, in sincerity. You know, it's nice to see that on occasion. Um, there's a lot of stories and discussion around um, veterans, especially in the United States, that focuses a bit heavy, that focuses rather heavily on like the extreme tragedy. And seeing a couple of guys who had been there, had done some of that, and are, you know, you still have to process some of. I would especially say, I would say more Saint Denis in this case because he served in like Mali and. There was a war there, and in parts of other of West Africa, like doing anti-terrorist stuff, which is, again, man, that's no joke. But he seems to be on the other side of whatever, uh, whatever trauma he might have incurred in that respect. And uh, we, these two, again, we had a good fight, man. Santini is. I think I said this before. The fact that his UFC debut was up a weight class on short notice against Elijah Zaleski Dos Santos skewed how a lot of people saw him. It ruined his stat line forever. <laughs> I mean that. He took so much... Um, he took a lot of damage. And he took a lot of uh, even numerical damage in addition to you know, the concussive damage. Um... And it, it skewed things, because he was almost a punching bag at points in that fight. If you watch it, this fight, and maybe like the uh, the one before it, and even, even some of the one before that, you get a much better idea of how good he is, and what his upside is. And his upside is very good. He's action in a hurry. There's urgency to what he does. If he doesn't like his position... He's not waiting. He's not reckless, but if if part of the position he's dealing with is, oh, steps are, there's like step A, B, and C. A lot of guys will do step A, which is frequently something like get an underhook. Uh, like get a same side underhook. Then things stall for a second, 
Like, okay, wait a minute. And then they have to, like, okay, now we move to step B. Then we get on the hip. Then we start posting up. They're like, it's just a little bit slower. As soon as that guy gets position, gets step A done, he is speed running B and C. And not recklessly, not stupidly, but rapidly. He is not there to hang around. Um, he's got good offense. He's durable. He's got power. I am not here to stand up and say I think Benoit Saint-Denis will be champion. It's a little bit too early to tell that. He's only been doing this for like six years. He's only got a handful of fights in the UFC. I'm not going to do the premature thing about future champion. What I am going to say is world of upside. World of upside in this guy. Um, Pay attention to him. Uh, absolutely pay attention to him. So, he got a really good win here. After the fight, he said, I want to fight someone in the top 15. Might have been top 10. He named up Dustin Poirier, Justin Gagey. Like, this guy wants to go to war. I respect it. I really do. He's not getting either of those fights, but he's starting... There's value in just putting it out there. That this is what you want... Again, at different times, I'm more critical of that same kind of thought. But in this instance, saying, you know, I'm doing the, you know, I'm a warrior, I want to go to war thing, and these guys go to war, that's almost more branding than calling for your next fight. And at a certain point, that has value. Um, he also got to do the... Um, he got to do some weird military, not weird, but he talked a little bit about like military history in his post-fight speech because he's in New York and he beat a New York guy. So he did the I love New York. Thank you. Thank you. to the, It's veterans, you know, uh, veterans week day here in the United States. Remembrance Day if you're Canadian or they're close to each other. I forget specifically which is which. I, I forget specifically when Remembrance Day is. I don't know if they're the same day all the time. But it, you know, so he said thank you to the U.S. for saving the French in World War One and World War Two, kind of like we did for you during the Revolutionary War. So it just weirdly nice to see some like um, respectful talk about shared history. Uh, so that was kind of fun. Um, yeah, dude, Santini is going to be a handful for a lot of guys. Pay attention to him. Uh, he, he is someone we're going to be paying attention to. Uh, for Frivola, sucks. Terrible loss. Um, but Frivola is one of the... Man, I didn't mention it specifically, but the... Um, that uh, that Sarah Longo camp had a few different guys on this. They had a bad night. They had a real bad night. Uh, then kicking off the main card, Diego Lopez, one of the upsets I picked. One of the upsets I picked that I got right. One of the few. Knocks out Pat Sabatini, 130 of the first round. Um, I don't dislike Pat Sabatini. There's some good about his game, but... I picked Lopez for a reason. And... Oh boy. 
He's always... Dude, can we... His UFC debut, Diego Lopez, short notice, stepped up to Movsar Evloyev and gave him a heck of a fight. He had a couple of near subs in that one. Um, he's got killer jujitsu when he wants it. And he's uh, he's the jujitsu coach at the uh, the Lobos gym, which is the gym that um, Alexa Grasso and Irene Aldana and you know, come out of, amongst others. He's got so and um, it's Alexa's uncle, I think, who is the like primary coach. And he's a boxing guy. Um. You give a guy with his jiu-jitsu credentials and ability and his jiu-jitsu skills hands, you got a problem. And boy, do they have a problem. That, that division has a problem in the form of Diego Lopez. Uh, that dude has some pretty decent power and just minded to offense everywhere. Everywhere, 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 everywhere. He wants to hurt you. So... He made a pretty good comeback again after the Evloyev loss. Um, that's somebody else, man. We might be having to we might be talking about him for a bit. That was the main card again. A lot of short fights on the prelims. I'll try to go faster. I promise. I know we're we, you know how long this is already. I don't, but at flyweight, Steve Urseg defeated Alessandro Costa via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the boards. Um. Good first round for Urseg. He kind of just beat Costa everywhere. Had a good jab going, good takedowns, good stuff from the top. Second round, Costa starts finding the target a little bit. I'm um, kind of buzzes him with some punches. Third round, Urseg kind of real. I think Urseg realized in the second, oh, I'm better in the clinch. So the third round is him. All right, I'm gonna jab you. I'm gonna. He hit him. I don't mean to say that he just dove head first into the clinch every time. A lot of double jabs into the right hand. But pushed him back to the fence, clinched up, and just, I've got control, I'm going to do offense, and I'm going to be winning. And I, uh, that's not the most exciting style of fight, but I actually applaud the fight management IQ that he demonstrated there. That's, a lot of guys are not that smart um, in the heat of things. He was. So credit to him for that one. Um, strawweight, Lupi Godinez defeated Tabitha Ricci via split decision. Oh, golly. There was a 30-27 for Tabitha Ricci, which is utterly indefensible. Two 29-28s for Godinez. More defensible. Um, there was one of the rounds you could have given Ricci. Um, was it the first? It was either one or two. Um, but... There was no, like, this was ultimately Godinez's fight. And 30-27 for Ricci, same judge who, how, how stupid was this judge? Okay, this judge gave Mackenzie Dern the first round of that fight with Andrade. Um, and did not award a 10-8 second round to Nazim Sadikov in his fight against uh, Vyacheslav Borshov. Um, fire this guy. I think it was Brent Minner. 
I wish to be specific about this if I'm going to call for someone's job. Um, do do do. Yeah, minor of some variety. What's his first name? I want to. It was Brian. Okay, Brian Minor. Yeah, fire this guy. Um. No idea what he's looking at. 30-27 for Ricci is utterly ridiculous. Utterly ridiculous. Then, um, yeah, solid enough win for Godinez. Um, not a whole lot to talk about there. Then, uh, Mateo Shrembeski defeats Roosevelt Roberts via armbar, 3 away to the first. Roberts stepping in on extremely short notice, missed weight. Um, the short notice thing is, I imagine, the only reason he missed weight. He's He's been pretty standard in that. He's been pretty reliable about making weight. But, you know, everybody gets one. And, and dude, like, on a week's notice, might have been less. I don't, think I, I don't even think I previewed this one. I think I previewed um, Rembeski and, uh, wasn't it Nurel or Aleve he was supposed to fight? Yeah. Um... Oh, no, I didn't have an opponent for him. So I said, I think I said I had no problem picking him in the dark. Played out. Rambeski is, he's good. Physical. Uh, bit of a tank. Armbar from the back here to finish things, which is criminally underused in MMA as a technique. Um, unfortunate this fight came together under the timetable that it did, but Rambeski's good. Then another lightweight fight. I talked about it briefly already. Uh, Nazim Sadikov and Vyacheslav Borshev fought to a majority draw. Two 28-28s. And then... How did this... And then, yeah, tw there was a 29-28 for Borshev from uh, Brian Miner there. Idiot. Um, Borshev has a pretty good first round. Has the jab working. Just hitting the body a little bit. Just having a good round. Wins the round. Second round, Sadikov cracks him uh, with a punch. Hits him with a front kick. It hurts him with a head kick. Drops him. Gets on top. Keeps attacking. Borshev fights up. Survives. Gets hurt. Like, he got dropped again near the end of the... It's a 10-8. It's a fairly textbook 10-8 round for Sadikov. Third round, Sadikov can't quite keep that momentum going. He cut open Borshev bad, though, by the way. They, that could have been a fight-stopping cut. Wasn't, but could have been. Um, just as an aside, could have stopped that. Um, Borshev endures a tough, you know, 90 seconds to the start of the third round. Then he's going again. Working the jab, hitting the body. Uh, stop. He gets taken down at one point, gets up pretty quick, stops the next couple of takedowns, like wins the third round. And I think the draw was correct. Um, this was your fight of the night. Absolutely deserved to be fight of the night. Really good three-round war from those two guys. Um, Borshov is in a weird spot where he's got ability, but one of those guys who I think probably got to the UFC too early might be singing the same tune about Nazim Sadikov sooner rather than later. Clearly has ability, but... 
not quite putting everything together the way you'd like to see. So, yeah, great fight. Look this one up, if nothing else. Then on the early prelims, Jared Gordon defeated Mark Madsen via TKO. I'm just elbowing punches, 442 of the first. High-paced first round. Madsen coming out, looking to push things, getting in the clinch, grabbing the single collar tie, knees and elbows, some good dirty boxing there. Gordon just kind of weathered a little bit of the storm and like, all right, if we're going to dirty box, I can dirty box. Um, cracks him with an elbow. He let, They're coming out of one clinch earlier and he lands a right uppercut. That seems to set Madsen back on his heels a little bit. Gordon gets back on the attack, another clinch, uppercut. Left elbow, right hand looping over the top of the shoulder, under the temple, drops him, all she wrote. Nice win for Gordon, who'd had some pretty seriously bad luck recently, so good on him. Uh, next up, we get an agreed-upon catchweight fight. John Castaneda defeats Kyung-ho Kong via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards. Apparently, Castaneda called, like, told everyone earlier, like, hey, can a catchweight work here? I've got a... He had some kind of an infection. My hunch is staff. Um, he looked like he had a lesion on his thigh. Uh, but it's more than like the antibiotics and whatnot he was taking for it. We're going to throw off his weight cut. I don't know whether or not he was still like contagious when they got into the cage. But Kong was amenable to the uh, catch weight. Pretty solid win here for Castaneda. Good movement. Um, nice kicks. Good stance switching. A solid little bantamweight fight. Uh, then we had flyweights. Josh Van defeated Kevin Borjas via unanimous decision. 29-28s across the board. Fun little fight. Uh, I think it was Van 1, Borjas 2, Van 3. Um, yeah, good stuff from Van in the first. Borjas might have been 2 and 3. I don't remember exactly. Borjas cracked him at one point. And really got him on his heels for the rest of that round. Um, Van's body work. That's my big takeaway from this. Joshua Van will just roast your ribs like a barbecue, man. Ooh, he slowed Borjas down with those. Then kicking everything off, Jamal Emmers defeated Dennis Bazookia via TKO, 49 seconds of the first round. Uh, just hit a nice punch. Faked a left hook, right hand straight down the pipe, dropped him, donezo. Um, Emmers missed weight. He weighed 147 for this. After the fight, I mean, immediately afterwards, he was running around, very happy with the win, obviously, but started saying, you know, 50 Gs. Like, the UFC can violate their quote-unquote rule about missing weight and ma making you ineligible for bonuses, but uh, they don't often. So you miss weight, you ain't getting a bonus. And he missed weight and did not, in fact, receive a bonus. I, yeah, I, had he ever missed weight? We had a lot of guys miss weight for this one. It's just wound up happening that way, I guess. But that was the card. You know what? There were some lulls, but as a general rule, top to bottom, pretty good card. And, you know, a main card of all finishes, most of them pretty quick. Yeah, I'll take that. Um... Your bonuses, fight of the night I already mentioned, was Vyacheslav Borshev and Nazim Sadakov. Clearly deserved. Performance of the night went to everyone who won on the main card. Alex Pereira, Tom Aspinall, Jessica Andrade, Benoit Saint-Denis, and Diego Lopez. Once again, a reminder, the UFC could do this all the time.
they choose not to because they are greedy. Um, if you want my full report, it's in the MMA zone of 411mania.com. Give it a read as a usual. Y'all know the drill by now. Thank you very much. Man, that took a while. I don't think the rest of this will take too long, but, you know, we're going to go as long as we're going to go. And you already know how long that's going to be. Saturday, UFC on ESPN plus 90. Um, geez, this is one of those 15 fight cards. Hang on, I got to count now because, jeez. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Oh, that's going to suck. <laughs> it's just too many. It's just too many. Why do you do this? Why do you do this to me? Oh, it's design. You, the UFC is like enhanced interrogation with the, the number of fights and the length of some of these cards, man. It's just, it's not good. It's not good. All right, but your main event, decent little middleweight fight here. We got Brendan Allen and uh, Paul Craig. Allen, on a pretty good winning streak. His last loss was to Chris Curtis. Um, since then, beat, he's got wins over Sam Alvey, Jacob Malkoon, Christoph Yadko, Andre Muniz, and then Bruno Silva. Um, finished all of those except for the Malkoon win. Um, Craig had a successful middleweight debut when he beat Andre Muniz back in July. Um, we should be in for a pretty decent one here. My hunch is, Alan, this is this is a well-matched fight. I can see either guy winning. I'm just going to lean a little bit towards Alan here, but that's not, that's not a bad fight. The rest of this card, I'm struggling to care. Just going to be honest with you guys. Welterweight Jake Matthews and Michael Morales. Matthews looked like he'd finally figured something out when he beat Andre Fialho. Then he immediately gets beat up by Matthew Semmelsberger. Rebounded okay beating Darius Flowers, but that was a wildly overmatched opponent. Um, Morales. Double check him. He's fought in the UFC. And... Uh, Ecuador. 15-0. 3-0 in the UFC. Has he been out for a while? No, he beat Max Griffin recently. Oh, right, right. I remember that one. Um, also wins over Trevin Giles and Adam Fugit. Um, I I don't know how to pick Jake Matthews at this point. I, I don't mean like to win. I mean, I don't quite know what's up with him. He's been so up and down. I just, I, I don't have a good read on him at this point. <laughs> Uh, which might make me lean towards Morales. Morales looked okay in his last fight when he beat Max Griffin. This is a step up for him. I, I'm, I am going to lean a little bit towards Morales. Yeah, I'm going with Morales. Not going to be shocked, though, if Matthews, you know, has figured something out again and gets this one right, but I don't know. I, I can't get a read on Matthews at this point. At different points in his career, I've had a pretty good read on him. I don't at the moment. Lightweight, Chase Hooper and Jordan Levitt. Um, you know, kind of a fun-ish fight here between two very good-natured fellows. Um, Hooper looked pretty good beating Nick Fiore when he moved back up to lightweight. Um, that was back in May. Levitt... 
Love it beat Victor Martinez. Um, got his first TKO win there. Um, Strike-related, he did have the slam of Matt Wyman. Levitt's a weird guy in the sense that you can see some of the pieces there. And he's kind of slowly putting them together in real time. This feels like it's designed a bit more for Hooper. Hooper does seem to have figured out more of, the, of, his, of who he is as a striker than Levitt has. On the mat, we might get some fun exchanges. Both guys are grapplers first. Not exclusively, but first, kind of and foremost, there. That's where they lean. Yeah, I'm going to lean towards Hooper. And this, this is not a gimme for him, but it does feel like a fight... More with him in mind than Levitt. Bantamweight, we have Peyton Talbot and Nick Aguirre. Um, Aguirre's fought in the UFC, I think at least once. 7-1. and one. Yeah, lost his UFC debut to Dan Argueta. Um, That was back in January. Talbot... Six and oh, coming off the contender series, yeah, contender series guy. Pretty decent amateur career too, actually. Now that I look at it, um, I don't. I I've said this before, man. I think we're still in that position where some guys coming off the contender series are gonna get. Less than stringent matchmaking, and I don't think Nick Aguirre is a bum, but I think the UFC has in mind how this is going to go, and I think that mean that leans towards Talbot, and I, I'm okay leaning that way as well. Uh, we have women's strawweight action: Luana Pinero and Amanda Hibas. Eh, probably Hibas, but uh, there's a lot of Somewhat upside in Hebus, but she's just kind of been there. She's had some tough losses, too. That's some real tough losses. Um, I still feel like this is a fight for her. Pinero is 11 and 1. sure you are who I think you are. 3-0 and in the UFC. Split with Michelle Watterson her last time out. Uh, she had the win over Sam Hughes. Oh, right, right. Like Her UFC win was that she won via DQ after Mar Randa Marcos hit her with an illegal upkick. This feels a little bit more like a Hebus style. Not by a whole lot. In fact, what are the odds on this? Odds are... Hmm, you got like 2 to 1 on Panero? That might be a decent little value bet. Um, still going with Hebus as well, but... 
she's been so up and down that I don't know that I'd fa I'd feel comfortable get, potentially paying out like again plus two hundred on that. And kicking off the main card, we have Johnny Parsons and Uros Medic. Medic two fight winning streak over wins over Omar Morales and Matthew Semmelsberger. Hit that nice spinning back fist on Semmelsberger. I remember that one. Been out for a while, though. That was July of 23. Uh, no, sorry. My mind has already started fla flashing forward to 20 to 24. Sorry. Um, that was July of this year. Um, Parsons, I think this is his UFC debut, yes? No, no, he's... No, no, the slugger not. Saw his nickname and I did a picture. I remembered him. Nine and three... Uh, he won his UFC debut when he beat Danny Roberts. Um, pretty decent upset, actually. <laughs> he did that. A lot of people were not... Uh, a lot of people not giving him much of a shot there. I think I'm still going to lean towards Medich. But... Dude, if he gets into a brawl with Parsons, that'll go badly for him. Uh, I'm going to lean towards Medich. Uh for the sake of a pick, but Parsons can slug it out. Um, don't sleep on him. I mean, that's your main card. Prelims. Jonathan Pierce and Joe Anderson Brito. That's not a bad fight, actually. Um, Pierce thinks um, on a what, five? Yeah, his only loss in the UFC was his debut against Joe Lozon. He, since returning to featherweight, he's on a five-fight winning streak. Pretty decent level of opposition. Um, Brito. Brito's been doing some decent enough work lately. Where are you? There you are. 15-3-1. Um, 3-1 in the UFC. Lost to Bill Algio, then... Beat on... Oh, I remember him stopping Andre Feely. Alexander, Weston Wilson. I think this is still a Pierce win. I think he's going to out-wrestle him, but... That's... I'm not going to be surprised if Brito pulls that one off. Um, Brito's got some skill. Let's see, Bantamweight, Chad and Helliger and... Jose or Jose Johnson? Hang on, I require. Um, gonna go with Jose. So, and Helliger's had a little bit of time in the UFC. 12 and 6, 1 and 1 in the UFC. Yeah, he kind of he lost to Alatong Hele. Uh, that was a tough loss. Johnson. 15 and 8. Also 1 and 1. And 0 and 1 in the UFC, excuse me. Yeah, Damon Blackshear hit that. He was the guy that got twisted. I'll go with Ann Helliger. Uh, let's see. Heavyweights, because screw you. Um, Mick Parkin and Kyle Machado. Um, what do we got here? Tell me something about these two. We didn't lose this fight, did we? Um, no? It's still listed as being here. 
Uh, there it is. Sorry. All right, Mr. Parkin. Seven and oh, had a good UFC debut. Um, for as good as heavyweights are, I guess. Um, Kyle Machado. Eight one and one. Coming into his UFC debut. Really know enough about either guy to feel super confident. I'll go with Machado. Not super confident, but uh, I think that's where I'll lean. Um, ooh, the odds are pretty heavily on Park in there. Eh, I mean, I'm sticking with my pick, but might be very wrong. Uh, middleweight, Cesar Almeida and Christian Leroy Duncan. Almeida. Um, coming into his UFC debut here, 4-0. Long kickboxing record, though. Um, mostly in Brazil. Yeah, so not exactly. I did some stuff for glory. Not a whole lot of glory, but a couple of glory fights. Looks like looks like some of those glory losses are what kind of prompted him to switch back over or back. Back. MMA debut was in 2016. Didn't fight again until 2021 in MMA at least. And very recently, yeah, uh, losing in some glory stuff. So, making the move, making the move to MMA full time. Fair enough. Um, good old CLD there. Eight and one. I want to say one and one in the UFC. Yeah, lost to Armin Petrosian. Had that weird win over Dusko Todorovic, the, the knee injury. Another one of those guys who just moving around had the knee injury. Um, don't know how to feel about Duncan. And again, if he he does a lot of striking though, man, you might be you might be striking with a better striker. I also don't know how good Parsons is. Sorry, not Parsons. I'm not entirely sure about Almeida in small gloves versus big gloves. Let me lean towards Duncan just a bit, but just a bit. I'm not sure I love that one. Uh, let's see. Next up. Can I skip one? I reversed those on the order there. Sorry, my apologies. Uh, next up, Featherweight, Jekka Sarig and Lucas Alexander. I probably butchered this gentleman's last name. He's from Indonesia. Um, lost to Anshul Jubilee in the um, Road to the UFC tournament doohickey they did back in February. Um, two really solid wins to get there, though, on the, again, on that uh, little tournament. Enough to get him another shot, at least. Um, Alexander, by contrast. 8-3. Um, 1-1 one one in the UFC. Lost to Drew Anderson. Brito beat Steven Peterson. This is, this is going to be a tough one. Um... I might be leaning towards Alexander, but I don't know how good I feel about that. 
Yeah, I, I'm going to lean towards Alexander. Um, not sure what... Yeah, I, I don't know enough about Saragi to feel great. Uh, let's see. Women's Bantamweight next. Lucia Pudilova and Aline Perez. Um, Pudilova lost to Jocelyn Edwards her last time out. Um, beat Wu Yanan before that. That was her return to the UFC after going on a four or five losing streak with them from 2018 to 2020. Um, Perez has been a little up and down in the UFC. Um, unless I'm confusing her with someone else. I might be, actually. Perez is 8-2. 1-1. One and one. Yeah, I'm confusing her with somebody else. I don't really remember who, but... She's coming off a win over Ashley Evans-Smith. Is her nickname really Nurmagomedov? That's funny. Um, don't know about this one. I might lean Perez. I mean, is that the Pudilova is bad, but she's just awkward. Yeah, I'm going to lean towards Perez. Uh, let's see, lightweight next, Trey Ogden and Nicholas Mata. Hmm. Mata, 13 and 5, 1 and 2 in the UFC, lost to Jim Miller and Manuel Torres. In the middle, he had a win over Cameron Van Camp. Not exactly confidence building. Um, Trey Ogden, 16 and 6, 1 and 2 in the UFC, lost to Jordan Levin and Ignacio Bahamundes. Between those two losses, he beat Daniel Zellhuber. I guess Ogden. But these two guys might be um, might be fighting for their jobs here, just candidly. I'm gonna lean towards Ogden. Um, flyweight Charles Johnson and Rafael Estevam. Um, boy, they buried Charles Johnson on that, this far down on the card. What he did to piss them off. Um, he's 13 and five. He's only two and three in the UFC, but he's shown some pretty serious ability. Um, Estevam is 11 and O. Oh, I think he won his UFC debut, didn't he? No, not making his UFC debut. Mm, I might lean towards Johnson here just because it amuses me to do so. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, I'll lean towards Johnson. I'm I'm okay with that. And somewhere on this card will be a lightweight fight between Atman Zaitar and Darius Flowers. Um, Zaitar on a two-fight losing streak lost it to Matt Frivola and Francisco Prado. Um, that's a little rough. Whereas. Flowers lost his UFC debut, I seem to recall. Let's sit here. This is half listed as canceled. Did this, was this supposed to be somebody else and we just haven't bumped it back up? 
Alright, I'm going to make a pick and assume it's still on the card. I might, however, if I'm wrong, I apologize. Um, Flowers is 12-6-1. Yeah, owned one in the UFC, lost to Jake Matthews. I think I would pick a Zaitar here. I think they're trying to get him right. Still listed here. It is. All right. Well, if that fight takes place, that's going to be my call on that. So, But Saturday, MMAZona411mania.com. Per usual, I will have you covered. So if this interests you at all, stop by, say hello. You know I always appreciate it. All right. Fight announcements. Let's hit these real fast, shall we? So the UFC dropped a bunch of these on us. Uh, let's start with UFC 297. This will take place in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. We don't know the exact venue. We have the location. Um, the first fight that was kind of announced for this, this leaked a little bit earlier. I might have... I don't think I talked about it last week, but it had been out. Um, Raquel Pennington and Myra Buena Silva for the vacant bantamweight title on the women's side of things. <sighs> I don't know why they're bothering, but we did get a main event, though, and it's not that one. For the middleweight title, Sean Strickland and Drakus Duplessis. Um, like that fight. I like that fight a lot. It's the right fight to make. It's the champion who earned the championship against the deserving number one contender. And if they can ever get Hamzat Shemaev to fight outside of the Middle East, maybe he can be uh, in consideration. But it's a really good fight. Um, my hunch at the moment is Duplessis, but like the fight. I already talked about Pennington and Buena Silva. I don't care. Also at light heavyweight, I talked a little bit about this earlier, but the rematch between Blahovich and Rakic will be here. Tough welcome back for Rakich, man, after that much time off. I mean, that injury happened, yeah, May of last year. He's been out for a while. Um, geez, yeah, that's close to two years off. Uh, rough fight back, man. That layoff makes me lean towards Blahovich, but I, I still think Rakich has a lot of upside. Also currently announced for that card, Arnold Allen and Movsar Vloyev, good fight. Charles Jordan and Sean Woodson, good fight. Neil Magny doing something. Oh, um, light heavyweight, Dominic Reyes and Carlos Ulberg. Boy, they are trying to show Dominic Reyes the door. Um, yeah. So, uh, Chris Curtis will be fighting. Ooh, Chris Curtis and Marc-Andre Barrio. Circle that one. That's got some potential to be crazy. So 297, what we have right now, actually pretty darn solid. Pretty darn solid. So good on that one. Um, 298 is going to be February 17th. We don't have a venue or a location yet, but the UFC announced that... Um, uh, for the featherweight title, Alexander Volkanovsky and Ilya Teporia. Somewhat related to this, um, Dana White, I think it mentioned that they wanted to try and have a UFC event in Spain in 2024. Admirable. 
Spain's kind of a pretty good market for MMA. Um, Taporia, despite being born in Georgia, the country, not the state, um, I think he's native. He's um, like was raised in Spain. That's his home. And dude is apparently a big deal in Spain. So we'll see how that goes. Um, Vulcan Taporia, one of the best fights you can make in the entire sport. Great pay-per-view main event. And for March 9th, UFC 299, again, no venue or location. Um, for the Bantamweight title, Sean O'Malley and Marlon Vera. Good old Cheeto for the second time. Um, sucks for Marab, who I think is the deserving number one contender. But apparently he's fighting Henry Cejudo. Okay. Um, O'Malley and Vera's fine. Um, that's a tough fight, man. I'd rather it was... Actually, is Marab the deserving number one contender or is Corey Sandhagen? I'm not sure. I'm not sure, actually. Because Sandhagen did just beat Vera. Pretty cleanly. Um, but the UFC kind of likes Vera. They like O'Malley, and if O'Malley wanted the rematch, then that's the direction they were going to go. So, here we are. Um, dude, Vera might win that. I'm not saying I'm picking him. I don't. I haven't thought about it enough, but he might. Uh, so we got that announced. A few other things, very briefly. Um, the UFC indicated they have uh, Dana White has booked the Sphere in Las Vegas for September 16th. Assuming the Sphere is still operational, man, did you guys see this? Um. The lost, um, the, that, that big sphere doohickey in Las Vegas, um, apparently thus far have lost $98 million. Whoever is the CFO of the sphere apparently quit. Um, and I don't blame them. Did you lose almost a hundred million dollars of that thing in operation? Like, I don't know if it'll still be up in September, <laughs> but the UFC's booked it if it is. So there's that. Um, yeah, that's most of the fights and the announcements. So I think the last thing I wanted to touch on before getting out of here, and we're coming up on two hours, so I promise I'll be quick. Um, TKO the company that is the amalgamation essentially of WWE and UFC their stocks in trouble and Vince McMahon offloaded um it was like 700 million dollars worth of stock it was over 800 million was it over 800 million shares something like that just threw a bunch of stock out there took a and you know because he sold it he obviously made money so he took, again, like $600 million, $700 million, I think, something like that. Just, um, you know, Vince, <laughs> somebody mentioned, like, Vince selling WWE to Endeavor so that he could maintain a degree of control and, like, keep it away from his kids to then immediately be almost forced out by the new positioning of the board for the new entity TKO 
is hilarious on these like deep levels. Um, but yeah, you know, one of the important members of this organization just selling off stock. That's not a bad sign. There's a group that owns a bunch of TKO stock. I think it's the Silver Lake Investment Group or whatever they are. Who are trying to get enough seats on the board to take the the company back private. Um, dude, after they fought that hard to get an IPO. After Endeavor was like leveraged to the gills and the UFC's unfair business practices were the only thing keeping them afloat. Just I don't know what they're doing over there. But that stock price going down. Going down. Um, we'll keep an eye on that. I don't expect... Uh, I, I will try to keep an eye on that going forward such as I can because it amuses me to do so. And it's news related, so occasionally it comes up. All right. Um, yeah, that's it. Let me check Twitter, see if anything crazy is broken. If not, we will do plugs and get out of here. All right. No, so plugs... Um, so, Monday, which might be when you're listening to this, in the evening, over on the W2M network of podcasting, I'm part of Damn You Hollywood, usually every, uh, pretty much every week. Um, this week on Damn You Hollywood, myself, Mark, and I think Alexis will be joining us. I'm going to check. Yeah, myself, Mark Radlich, and Alexis Haina will be reviewing The Marvels. You know, I've been trying real hard to be more positive. There's a lot of things about my myself, my mental state, that I've been trying real hard to change. I try not to swear as much as I used to. I've been trying to be more positive. Doesn't necessarily mean less critical, but, you know, more positive. And then this comes along. So, you know, (laughs) but 9 p.m. Eastern, Monday, the 13th, Mark Radulich, Alexis Haina and I, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. So, yeah. Yeah. Other than that, um, my regular spate of professional wrestling coverage, MLW stuff on Thursday, WWE SmackDown on Friday, UFC on ESPN Plus 90 on Saturday. All right, next week we will be back here to review UFC on ESPN Plus 90. We won't, there will be no preview because the next week after would be like right after Thanksgiving. Just one week? Yeah. It'll be the 25th. So... Just a review next week. That's the 19th. On the 26th, we'll be back here to preview the um, UFC on ESPN 52 card. Well, that's a pretty solid card. They're in all oh, right, right. They're in Austin, so they had to sell tickets. So we got Benil Daryush and Armin Saryukian as your main event. Dan Hooker and Bobby Green as the co-main event. Rob Font, Davis and Figueredo. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, a lot of good there. That's a really good fight night. I will be previewing that in two weeks. I'm looking forward to that one. Now watch it fall apart.
I have tempted the irony gods. All right, that's it for me for this week, everybody. Thank you, as always. I appreciate the heck out of you. Stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.